Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to, uh, to gather with you this morning. As Tom said, if you are new here, uh, we're grateful that God's brought you to gather with us today. Uh, my name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and we'd love to meet you after the service. This is your first time, or you've been here for a little while, and we just haven't gotten to meet before. I know some of you have been coming maybe for a few weeks or months, and we just haven't had the opportunity to talk yet. So please uh, come find me after the service. We'd love to, uh, to meet you. Um, we're going to be in the scriptures as we are every week, and so if you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand with a couple of guys, bring a copy of God's Word around to you uh, so that you can read along with us this morning and know that that's our gift to you. If you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, uh, we'd love for you to have access to God's Word uh, throughout the week. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Jonah uh, as we've been in this start of this series, uh, so you can start to flip open to Jonah, but uh, as we begin our time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his word this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks uh, that we have the opportunity once again to gather together as your church. Lord, we give you thanks that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, that you've allowed us to be here today. We pray uh, that that wouldn't be lost on us, that this is a gift to us today. Um, that we've been able to come and, and sing together and now sit and listen to your word preached Lord, that's a blessing to us, and so we pray that we would rejoice in that. We give you thanks for that, uh, that you call us together as your people to gather regularly, that we might encourage one another, be built up by your word, uh, and then go out from this place to make much of you in and around our city and around this nation, around this world. We pray now as we open up your word, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, that your Holy Spirit would be actively working in our hearts and minds this morning that you would fill me with your spirit, that I might not preach out of my own strength or ability, uh, but by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to, to bring your word this morning to us, that we might receive it as the gift that it is to us. And so, Lord, as we sang, we are listening. Would you, would you make us attentive this morning? Would you give us the ability to receive what you have for us today? And Lord, I believe, as Tom said, that your word is living and active. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow your word to do that work in us in a living and active way. That this sermon this morning would be preached corporately to us together as a family, but even individually, that you'd speak purposefully and particularly into the lives of each and every person here. And Lord, that's only possible by the work of your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that this morning. We give this time to you for your glory, your praise, your honor. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I love uh, epic things, epic stories, epic movies, epic songs. One of my favorite epic stories is Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the movies are great. The books are even better. If you can get through some of the elf songs in the book, it's really great. Uh, But, you know, one of the best things about the epic kind of nature of the Lord of the Rings is it's a building story. There's this this continually unfolding drama that happens in just kind of an intriguing fashion as Tolkien writes this book. And he ends his first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, with a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of this book. There's danger that's fast approaching. This this band of brothers accompanying Frodo Baggins is starting to fracture and Frodo and Sam break away on their own. And you're kind of left, well, what's going to happen? What's going to actually happen? Will they make it on their mission? Will the ring actually be destroyed? But you have to wait and see. And book two begins kind of mid-event in the middle of a battle with these enemy orcs that are going on. And so it starts out with this intensity as the story continues on. 
And what makes this epic story so epic, and really epic stories in general so epic, is there's this anticipation and change and movements that happen throughout epic stories and songs. Great stories, great songs, and tales move from an act one to act two to act three and so forth. And they just continually draw the audience into the story as we long to wait to see how it will conclude So today, as we continue on in Jonah's story, we've already seen some pretty epic things. Jonah has run away from the presence of the Lord, and God hurled this this storm on to Jonah. This tempest came, and it sought just to break this boat apart that he was trying to run away from God on. And the sailors pick up Jonah, and they throw him over the edge of the ship into the water, into the midst of this raging sea. And so now, this morning, we really come to Act 2 of this story What will happen with Jonah? What will God do? Now maybe some of you this morning are familiar with the story of Jonah. You've heard it before. Maybe if you grew up in the church or you've just been reading your your Bible for a while. Or maybe for some of you this is a news story. But no matter where you find yourself, whatever level of familiarity you have with this story this morning, my hope is as we jump into this next section of this story that God will use it in your life today in a fresh way to speak into your story. And what he'll do in particular with that is help you to understand more about yourself and really more about who he is. And that's really for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on our spiritual journey. Whether you're walking closely with Jesus, whether you're struggling in your relationship with Christ right now, whether you're new to faith, maybe you've just recently come to know Christ. Maybe you find yourself this morning seeking. You're not sure if God's real or he even exists. Maybe you even find yourself this morning mocking. You think the idea of God is altogether kind of ridiculous. But we believe God has brought all of us here this morning to receive and hear his word. So today, through Jonah's story, what we're going to see is that real redemption, real restoration for all of us begins with recognizing and it ends with resting. So may God grant us, all of us this morning, ears to hear and eyes to see that that he might do a work in us and through us for his glory So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Jonah. We're going to be reading in chapter 1 a bit from what we looked at last week, but really focusing in on all of chapter 2 this morning. So starting in verse 11 of Jonah chapter 1, this is what the story of Jonah says and what God says to us this morning. Then they said to him, speaking to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet 
I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Last week, we saw this picture of relentless disobedience from Jonah and relentless rescue uh, from God. And we saw this, that God brought this storm about in Jonah's life so that he could come after his wandering prophet. He could come after his disenchanted follower. And verse 1 of chapter 2 kind of gives us a bit of a new heading of sorts, but it's, it's not insignificant in what it says. Notice what it says. Then Jonah prayed. Then he prayed. This is something we haven't seen from him throughout this whole story, throughout this whole saga. He has been called on to pray. He has had opportunity to pray, but he's never actually prayed until now. See, I think something that all of us need to realize is that our disobedience, when we're seeking to walk in disobedience to God, it oftentimes leads to our prayerlessness as we run away from him. And as we walk in prayerlessness, that tends to lead to more and more sin in our life. And as we walk in within and in more and more sin in our life, it leads to more and more disaster. And that was the case for Jonah. It's the case for you and for me. See, my guess is this morning that some of you right now are in a cycle of disobedience. You're in a cycle of disobedience and maybe it's gotten to the point where it's a cycle of disaster in your life that's leading you and leading to really the disintegration of your heart and your life with God. Maybe you've known God for a long time. You can give the right answers with your mouth, but internally you know that your life is just starting to fall apart and tear apart on the inside. And if that's you this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, by His Word, will hit your heart this morning and bring you to a place of waking up to what God has for you. See, what follows in this text that we're going to look at is really a a recounting of Jonah's praying to God. And and it probably is more of a compilation of prayers. Um, This isn't maybe just one specific prayer, but kind of a compilation, much like the Psalms are. We see in the Psalms, and this has a lot of similarity to the book of Psalms. It's kind of a compilation of all that Jonah has probably said and prayed to God at various points, not just inside the belly of the fish, but throughout this whole ordeal as he's in the water. See, where we left Jonah last week is that he'd been thrown overboard and the sea stopped from raging. And we saw in verse 17, it it seems to say, or at least we might think that what happened is Jonah gets chucked overboard over the side of the ship and there's this this fish or sea creature of some sort that's there kind of waiting for him. Like he's going to kind of catch him in his mouth or like he's just going to swim right up and scoop him right up. But I don't think that's actually the case. Now, quick side note, maybe going like, well, what kind of thing is this? Like what kind of sea creature fish is this? I mean, the, the, the honest answer is we really don't know. We really don't know what kind of animal this was that came along uh, to rescue Jonah. And it may be hard for us to even believe that this is even possible because we don't see something like this every day. 
But the reality is, no matter what it was, is that we know that God is the one who did this work. So just as crazy as it might be to think that a fish would come and swallow up a man and he'd be able to live for three days, we can step back and remember who the God is that actually is doing this. The same God who called all of creation into existence out of nothing. So as much as it may be hard for us to believe, it's another place for us to have faith and believe God can use any aspect of his creation to do and achieve his purposes. But that's not even the main focus of what's going on in this particular text. See, the reason I don't think that Jonah fell into the water and immediately got swallowed up by this sea creature, by this fish, is because of what we see in this text. I mean, perhaps Jonah's striving and thrashing about in the water, looking at that moment for something to grab onto. Maybe some of the cargo that had been thrown overboard on the side of the ship, and he's trying to just grab onto something to stay alive, to float in this sea, but he's unable to do so. And he's sucked beneath the water and... Really what he was doing is continuing on the trajectory that he had started in Jerusalem. See, he had gone down to Joppa. And he had gone down to the port. And he had gone down into the ship. And now he had gone down into the water and continued down and down and down to the, into the depths of the sea to a watery grave. And so as we look at this text this morning, we're really going to break this down into three points Three points to help us navigate the story, and these same three points will be our, our points of application. Because as we've said, Jonah's story is really a mirror for us and, and our stories. As we look at Jonah's life, we can see much of our own life and our own struggles in his story. So as we listen, may we listen and learn and heed for the sake of our own souls this morning. Three things we see, three things that we can do if we are going to walk in a restored and right relationship with the living God. Three things, recognize, repent, and rest. Recognize, repent, and rest. Our first point, recognize. See, in verse 2 through 6, we see something take place in Jonah that hasn't taken place so far in this story, and that's that Jonah begins to recognize And recognition is really twofold in this situation. And really for your life and my life, it's twofold. It's this, that we recognize who God is and that we recognize who we are. See, the moment that Jonah was hoisted over the side of the boat, the moment he was thrown into the raging water of the Mediterranean Sea, he came face to face with two things, his own humanity and the power of God. He was confronted with two things, his own humanity and the power of God. And in that moment, as he thrashed and sputtered and flailed, he had sort of an awakening. See, at this moment, God had stripped everything away from Jonah. He had taken literally everything away from him. And Jonah was left. The only thing he had was his life. And at that moment, it was hanging in the balance. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's assuming he's going to die because of his disobedience. He can no longer do anything to seemingly save himself. But notice Jonah's language in this. He says, as he prays, you, God, cast me into the deep. You cast me in the deep. We go back and say, well, it wasn't God. The sailors are the one that picked him up physically and threw him over the side of the boat. But in that moment, Jonah comes face to face. He recognizes God is actively at work in this moment. That God used these sailors as agents for his purposes. Then he says, God, it's your waves, your billows that pass over me. God, again, is acknowledging the all-powerful, almighty God. 
Jonah's sinking down into the darkness of the sea and he's starting to recount what had happened as he's in prayer. He's saying, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed literally starts to wrap around my head. He's sinking so far down. He says he's at the root of the mountains of the ocean. He's toward the bottom of the sea at this moment. And he says he goes down to a land, this place of death where there is no escape. In that moment, Jonah thinks this is it. My sin has caught up with me. And I'm going to die. About 10 years ago, Amy and I uh, went to Africa for two weeks. And one of the last two or three days that we were there, we were in Uganda. And we had the opportunity to raft, whitewater raft, the Nile River. The Nile River has two forks. That's where one of them starts in Jinja, Uganda. And so we said, man, this sounds great. Let's do this. I mean, how often do you get to raft the Nile River? Uh, What we didn't really maybe recognize or understand is how crazy the Nile River actually is. This isn't isn't East Coast rafting. And so we get to the Nile River and we realize, okay, look, we're going to be going down these rapids. And if you know anything about whitewater rapids, class five is like the top rapid. It's the most dangerous. There's class six rapids, but most people don't raft those. Uh, But class five is crazy whitewater. Uh, Lots of different features and things going on. And this particular section of the Nile River, uh, the lowest rapids that they had were, were grade three rapids. And there were three class four rapids and five class five rapids that we were going to go down. So we get on this boat. We're cruising along uh, with our 18-year-old guide, which makes you really confident. Um, Nothing against 18-year-olds, but he's got my life in his hands, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, we get to this first rapid, this class 5 rapid, and he says, hey, listen, we're going to hit this class 5 rapid. This is all the stuff you need to do, and you just need to know 95% of boats that go into this rapid don't make it through without tossing you out. So you can be pretty confident when we go in that you're going to get chucked out of the boat. And so sure enough, we hit this rapid, and we hit the hydraulic in this rapid, and we just nail it, and all of us just go flying out of this boat in a class 5 rapid on the Nile River. And so we get in, and we're getting sucked down to the water. You feel like you're in the midst of a, of a washing machine. They tell you when you fall out, just remain calm. It'll be fine. Yeah, right. You're in the middle of this rapid, and you're just flailing, sucking in Nile water into your lung, and all this stuff you're just flailing all about. So Amy and I get sucked over. We, we come back up. We pop back up. They said that would happen. So here, oh, good. We're back out of the water. We see each other. We're, we're trying to swim towards one another, and we both get sucked back under the water again. And we're flailing all around again in the midst of this. This was scary for us. If you ask my wife, hey, would you ever do this again? She'd say, no, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to do that again and raft that, uh, that section of, uh, of the river. It was a scary moment, but we, I think we knew at the end of the day we were going to be okay because hundreds and hundreds of people do this every day. They go down this river all the time, and there are these guides, no matter how old they are, that are trained and know what they're talking about. But see, Jonah didn't know that. There's no one had gone before him and said, hey, bro, you're going to be okay. Just remain calm. God's going to hook you up. There was no plan in place for Jonah to say, when you got chucked over the side of the boat, guess what? A rescue fish is going to come along and save you. <laughs> he didn't know. He's just falling down to the depths of the sea. He's falling down to the bottom of this. And his only hope in that moment is to call out to the God who he's been running from. So he cries out. And God, in his great mercy and grace, he hears him. And he answers him. God hears Jonah and he saves him. Man, don't let that be lost on you this morning. That even as you run away from God, that you can cry out for help and healing and God desires to save you. God desires to bring rescue and restoration to your life, but we have to acknowledge, we have to recognize who we are and who God is. 
See, maybe it was that moment that he flew over the side of the boat. Maybe it was the moment that he hit the water. Maybe it was the moment that the boat disappeared from his sight and he sank down and down and down. But whatever it was, something changed in Jonah. Something shifted in him. Jonah, all this time, had been disenchanted with God, but as one pastor says, under the force of the pounding waves, his soul began to long for God. And this, is, this was God's means of rescuing Jonah from himself. In the dark depths of the sea, Jonah gave recognition to who God is and who he is. And that's really what happens with all of us. When we come to a place of awakening by God's grace, we start by giving recognition, acknowledging the fact that we have sin in our life and God is perfect and holy, that we are rebellious and God is completely without sin and beauty in all his beauty and glory. What is plainly in view in these moments and what is plainly in view for Jonah was the stark contrast between himself and God. How many of us this morning are like Jonah? How many of us this morning need to give recognition to these same things? To who we are and to who God is? How many of us this morning are spiritually sleepy? We're just kind of going through the motions. How many of us this morning are wrestling with disenchantment with God in our life right now? And how many of us this morning are even noticing it? As one pastor said, spiritual decline often happens so slowly that you hardly notice. Worship becomes remote. Prayer becomes repetitive. The Lord's table becomes a habit. Hearing the word becomes routine. And your Christian life runs as if on automatic pilot. You are no longer engaged. See, unbelief starts to grow and you begin sleepwalking through your Christian life. Is that you? Is that where you're at this morning? See, in this moment, Jonah, who had been asleep, both literally and figuratively, has an awakening that leads to recognition. See, Jonah's doctrine, his belief about God had been right, but his heart was far from God. He had a right understanding. He could spout off theological things, but he didn't have a a close relationship with God. And how many of us know about God but don't know God? Just like I could tell you this morning, I know about Tom Brady. I could tell you some stats on him and how great of a quarterback he is, but I don't know him. I don't have an intimate relationship with him. And Jonah was kind of in that same place, but here he is in the midst of this. Even though he had grown distant from God, thinking only about himself, but God brought him to this place of recognition because he finally came face to face with his sin. See, what Jonah deserved for his rebellion was death, and he recognized that. He realized that. Romans 6.23 became very real to Jonah in this moment. that The wages of his rebellion, the wages of his sin were death. And as he sank to his literal death, he was undone by it. So he cried out for help from the only one who could help him. God was faithful. God wasn't done with Jonah. And he sent this fish, this fish of salvation, to bring up Jonah from the pit. And notice what Jonah says in verse 6. O Lord, my God. O Lord, my God. See, Jonah had acknowledged the Lord before. He He had said the name Yahweh before, but it was just religious rote response. It was what he knew he was supposed to say. 
But here in this moment, he's expressing some genuine faith. At the end of the day, that's what recognition is. It's a display of faith. It's a display of belief. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, there's a difference between a theology that exists out here and a theology that exists in here. There's a difference. And and just having the right answers, being able to, to, to talk about God in a theoretical way, there's a difference with that with what's going on in your own heart, in your own life. And see, Jonah had knowledge, but it wasn't impacting his soul. It wasn't leading him to worship. But in this moment, through suffering and through trial, Jonah had an experiential theology. He had an experiential theology that was rooted in what he knew to be true about God. And that God so oftentimes does that in our life through suffering and trial. What comes to happen in your own life is that your true theology comes out. What do you really believe about God in that moment? But see, Jonah, like you and me, had knowledge, and the knowledge he had of God started to fuel his true belief in God and recognizing, I'm desperate for you. I need you. I don't want to run from you anymore. In this moment, Jonah began to recognize that God was at work in him so that he might work through him. And that was about, this was all about Jonah and God above and beyond anything else that Jonah would do in his missionary endeavor. Listen, if you are going to experience ongoing redemption, if you're going to experience ongoing restoration in your life, if you are going to walk with and in the presence of the Lord, you must first recognize who God is and who you are. That he's the creator and you're his creation. That he is infinite and you are finite. That he is holy and perfect. And left to yourself, you are unholy and imperfect. That he is completely independent and you are wholly dependent. In this moment, Jonah finally got that. He recognized that and it led him to repent and rest, which are our next two points. What does it mean to repent? Biblical repentance is the idea of turning away from your sin and turning to God. It literally means a changing of your heart or your mind. We are all worshipers. Whether we know our living God or don't, we, or, or don't know him, we all are worshipers because all of us ascribe worth to things. We give value to things, to people, to our possessions, to whatever it happens to be. But there's only one who is worthy of our worship. And so when we repent, what we're doing is we are seeing our heart change, our heart transform. Instead of setting our affections and our love on this particular person or thing or situation over here, we're literally turning, we're placing, we're, we're taking our affections from here and we're placing them over here on the one who deserves those affections. We're seeing a change of heart, a change of mind take place. We turn to God and worship. So where and how do we see this with Jonah in this instance? Well, verse 4, we begin to see it. He's driven away from God's sight. He's not in God's sight, but he says, but he has hope that he will once again see God in the holy temple, a place that signifies the presence of God. He'd been running away from God's presence, but now he's talking about turning, turning to and being in God's presence. There's a redirection of his focus. We see it again in verses 7 through 9. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Because of his sin and rebellion, his life was literally fainting away, but he remembered the Lord who he'd been running from, and he came to him in prayer. And then Jonah states some truth. He says, if you run after idols, you have no hope of steadfast love. An idol is anything and everything that we worship besides or except God. Anything and everything that we worship instead of God. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories, that we're really good at creating idols within our heart. We're really good at chasing after things besides God in our life, maybe even good things. But when we chase after these other things besides God, we lose the hope of his steadfast love because we're running away from it. We're running away from the presence of God, just like Jonah. See, we can't just focus on Jonah's behavior. We have to get down to where that behavior originated from in his heart. And these things that he was chasing after, his self and his comfort and his own plans and his own purposes, his timeline, his own pride. And I say all that because my guess is that a lot of us struggle with those same things in our life. Those are many of our idols as well. As as I've said before, sin never tells you the truth about where it's going to lead you. It never tells you the truth about where it's going to lead you. Our flesh, it still battles with sin and the enemy consistently and constantly whisper into your ear as you start to chase after something else. You will not surely die if you do this. You won't die. But here Jonah is about to die. About to die. And it's a direct result of his sin. See, in the midst of the sea, in the belly of the fish, Jonah's awakening and recognition led him to turn away from his rebellion and turn towards his God, and in so doing, to start to walk with God in obedience. If you chase after idols in your life, then you sacrifice hope, you sacrifice joy. And Jonah knows this firsthand, and so he says, but I, I with the voice of thanksgiving, of worship, of praise, will sacrifice to you. I will lay down my perceived rights, and I will follow you, my God, my Savior. What I have said, I will do. I will walk in your perfect will. I will walk in your good ways, because you are God, and I am not. All this time, Jonah had been running from the presence of the Lord, but now he's running to him. And God was indeed present. So you and I cannot be effective in glorifying God. We cannot be effective in making disciples of Jesus if we are not readily and regularly experiencing the presence of God. And that's both individually and corporately. In our lives as individuals, but also together as a church, if we're not regularly experiencing the presence of God, then we won't be able to glorify him. See, I think what most often happens in our life is it's, it's like we're driving on the interstate, we're, we're cruising along, and our gas light comes on saying we're about to run out of fuel. And we think, well, man, I think I can still do this. I think I can keep going. And we pass by an exit that has a gas station. We pass by another exit that has a gas station. I can go a little bit further. I think I can still handle this. Surely enough, I won't run out of gas in this moment. But we miss these, these off-ramps of refreshment. We miss these off-ramps of grace that if we would just pull off the road for a little while, if we would just turn away from our path and just go to the place where we can actually be refueled, then we can continue on in the journey ahead of us. 
And true and ongoing repentance is necessary for us in order for this to actually take place. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, spiritually the truth is the same. We have to recognize who God is. We have to recognize who we are. We have to place our faith in Him and then repent of our rebellion. Because even as believers, even as followers of Christ, even as Christians, we still struggle with sin. 1 John chapter 1 says this. It says if we have if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we're walking in his presence, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is for all of us, believer and non-believer, because faith and repentance go hand in hand. They go hand in hand and they're a part of your whole life before God. But see, sometimes I think what can happen in the church is someone in the midst of your struggles where you're struggling with sin or you're, you're struggling with belief right now that people say, hey man, just believe, just have faith, it'll be okay. But this is kind of flippant, band-aid kind of answer to you. Because the reality is our faith has enemies to overcome. Our own flesh and our adversary. But our faith wins when we fix our eyes on the object of faith instead of on ourselves. And instead of on our sin. We need to reorient our gaze towards Christ. We need to reorient our gaze towards God. And then repentance then is really a fruit of faith and grace, which are really gifts from God. Repentance is possible because of faith. Repentance is a result of faith. If we have true faith, we will have true repentance. Because you can't turn from something if you don't have anything to turn towards. We don't change so that we can come to Jesus. We come to Jesus so that we might change. So when pastor says grace makes repentance possible. And in Jonah's case, he had an experience of great grace. He had a, a, a fresh experience of faith and it led him to repentance. He encountered the living God, the presence of the living God who he had been running from. And it began to shake off the dust of disenchantment in his life. Too often though, when we're struggling, we fall into the same temptation that Jonah did. Instead of being dependent on God, we seek to independently be God. We want to be the masters of our own ship. We want to be the author of our own story. We want to be the king that sits on the throne of our own kingdom. But that always results in broken relationship. Broken relationship with God and broken relationship with others. Because he sin, it, it attaches itself to relationships. It's like a leech And it sucks the blood and the life out of all of your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, to where you're just left as a kind of a a shell of a person, a selfish person who's only focused on themselves. And that was Jonah. And that's you and that's me. If we don't look into the mirror of Jonah's life and the, the mirror of Jonah's story and recognize who God is and recognize who we are and then seek to walk in repentance and faith. Repentance flows out of recognition and faith, but it also renews our faith. That's why Jonah can say salvation belongs to the Lord. Because Jonah in this moment knows he cannot save himself. Only God can do that. He needs grace and mercy and forgiveness. 
See, every time you try to save yourself, every time you try to pull yourself up, it will not last. It will end in failure because you have no spiritual ability on your own to do that. Sin is so total. It's so pervasive. It's so destructive. It affects you from your head to your toes and inside and out. And apart from divine intervention in your life, you are lost at sea, sinking down and down and down. Jonah's sin had cast him down, but God brought him up. Jonah's sin had cast him out, but God brought him in. And he was able to do that because of who would come after him. See, Jesus took on the weight of sin. He took on the wrath of God for the sin of all of his people, Jonah included. And in doing so, he sunk to the depths in darkness and death. And for three days, he remained separated from God so that you wouldn't have to be. But then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. Death could not hold him down. He broke the neck of sin and shame and death. He ripped out the fangs and he flung it to the ground and he rose again from the grave so that you could have life now and forever. And see, even Jesus ties these two things together. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jonah had to go to the depths to receive salvation from God, but Jesus had to go to the depths to bring about the salvation of God. It's the upside-down nature of the cross and the empty tomb. If you were reading in the community Bible reading this week, we, we, we read about the crucifixion of Jesus in Luke 23, and I was reading it and just blown away by the fact that here Jesus is, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who's existed for all eternity who's come, and he's being nailed to a cross for nothing he did. And everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. But here again is God doing something miraculous, what they meant for evil. God used for good. What Jonah meant for evil, God used for good. What you mean for evil, God used for your own redemption in your life that he brought Jesus to bear the weight of your sin. It's a picture of the reality that your salvation is 100% of God. Jonah did nothing to deserve to be saved. It was by grace alone. And so he proclaimed salvation belongs to the Lord. Sojourn, listen, our God saves to the uttermost. That means there is no one in this room this morning. There's no one outside these walls this morning. There's no one in the world this morning whose God's, whose great, the grace of God is not sufficient for. There's nothing you've done in your life. You haven't run from God for too long or too far away. There's nothing you've done too, too bad in your life, too wicked in your life that God's grace can't overcome. Jesus paid for that on the cross in full. He went down into the depths of the earth and rose again so that you could have that salvation and you too could proclaim, I didn't do this on my own. God did all of it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, God used suffering in Jonah's life to bring about a renewed faith and repentance. Maybe he's doing that in your life right now. Are you running? Are you hiding? Are you disenchanted with God? Are you seeking hope or joy or peace in someone or something else? Man, if that's you this morning, turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance today. Because it's through repentance that restoration is possible. 
Our God is in the business of restoring. And he restores us in our sorrow over our sin and in our repentance and turning to him once again. He did it for Jonah. He can do it for you too. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 6 and 7 tell us this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So let me ask you this morning, where are you resistant instead of repentant? Where are you resistant to the Spirit working in your life right now instead of repentant over the ways that you've wandered after other things besides God? Whatever it is, Because of Jesus, our King, you can confidently and boldly come before the throne of grace and come to God in this holy temple and he will bring healing and help for you. And in so doing, then you'll truly begin to rest. See, an interesting part of this whole story that I think we can often overlook is the fact that Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of this fish. See, in our culture of immediacy and searching, we search for instantaneous resolutions to our problems. But in this moment, we can read this and we can say, this is a problem for me. We we want this to be a, a quick exchange, a quick solution. Jonah recognizes, he repents, Jonah gets spit out. Why does this take so long? Why is he in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights? But maybe instead of looking at this as a form of punishment, we should look at it as a gift of grace to Jonah. Because as one pastor said, the belly of the fish was not a place of trauma for Jonah. It was a place of deliverance. Why? Because it serves as a place of solitude and silence. It was a crucible of rest. It was a constricting place of pressure. But less like a boa constrictor wrapping itself around you, seeking to suck the life out of you. And more like a two-armed embrace from a friend who brings you in and holds you close. And you feel love in that moment. Because see, Jonah was not alone. All this time he had been running from the presence of God, but here he was with God, resting in God, hidden in him. And in his resting, he was waiting. It was abundantly clear to Jonah that he is wholly dependent on the God who made all things and hold all things together. And man, when you have those moments, when I have those moments, they are sweet moments. Sweet moments that should be fully embraced when we finally come to the realization that we are not in control. This fish is a picture of a life hidden in Christ. Instead of hiding from God like Jonah did, through our recognizing and our repenting and our faith and turning towards your Savior, you're now safe, you're secure, your life is hidden with Christ. See, Jonah was experiencing the reality of Romans 6 and Colossians 3. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Recognize, repent, and rest. Rest from your running from God. Rest from your hiding from Him. Come out into the open. Come into the light. 
Rest from your striving and your effort and your toiling to gain favor from God, to try and measure up to God. Rest knowing that through Christ's finished work from beginning to end, that you have that favor, that God has lavished his grace on you. Your salvation never comes from your doing. God saves you precisely because you cannot save yourself. So rest in the truth that God knows every single little thing about you, yet he still loves you with steadfast, unfailing love. And he showed you that in and through the cross and the empty tomb. Rest, recognize, repent, rest, and do it over and over again. See, one last thing I want to note before we finish is the place and the context, context of all this happening. Where does this happen? It happens through prayer. It happens through God's word. What is Jonah praying? He's praying the language of the Psalms. Jonah knows God's word in this moment. That's what he's spouting back out to God. See, prayer has been absent in this story, but it's not, it hasn't always been absent from Jonah's life. But our prayer life oftentimes comes to a screeching halt when we are not willing to recognize and repent and rest. It's why in our community Bible reading journal that there's a place to pray God's word, to give adoration to God, to recognize who he is and who we are, and at the same time to confess, to repent of our sin, and then to be reminded of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us. It's why we do our order of service the way we do it on Sunday mornings, that we call one another to worship, to remind us why are we gathered here? We're gathered to praise the living God. And in the midst of that, we're confronted with the reality of our own sin. And so we have a time of confession to bring those things before the Lord. But then we follow that up with an assurance and the preaching of God's word and communion. And then we sing loudly and zealously because we're reminded of the grace that God gives us. Recognize, repent, and rest. Listen, God will not likely swallow you up in the belly of a fish. So don't worry, you can go to the beach still, okay? He's not likely going to do that in your life, to give you that gift of being in that place to be confronted with all of these things. So my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is to fight for that space. Make it a priority to gather with the church. Make it a priority to spend time in prayer and in God's word that you might do these things over and over again and encourage one another to do it as well. Let's help each other to continue to move forward in this. If we want to see the dust of disenchantment shaken off of us, if we're going to be faithful to be and do all that God has called us to be and do individually and together as a family, it will come when we stop running, when we stop hiding, and we recognize and repent and rest in the presence and power of God. Sojourn, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This brings us to the completion of Acts two, Act 2 of this story, and Act 3 begins next week. Let's look forward in hopeful expectation of what God will continue to do in us and through us for his global glory and the good of others. Amen. Each week we come to the communion table to eat the bread and drink the cup, but this is not a rote religious exercise for us. It's an opportunity for us to do what we talked about this morning, to recognize, repent, and rest. When you eat the bread and you drink the cup, The bread signifying Christ's body broken for you. The cup signifying Christ's blood shed for you. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You proclaim your need for grace and the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. You acknowledge your sin and are refreshed with the reality that as far as the east is from the west, God has removed your transgressions from you. And you get to rest. Rest in the truth that you have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So this morning, come forward this morning to eat and drink 
and to recognize, repent, and rest once again. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning. Because before you eat the bread, before you drink the cup, we want you to do those three things as well. To call out to God, maybe for the first time, and ask him to save you from your sin. To stop running from him and run towards him this morning. We want you to experience God's grace. That you would take Jesus this morning. So if you're not a follower of Christ, just hang out in your seat. Spend time with God talking to him about those things. If you're ready to begin that relationship with God, then tell God that this morning. And then let somebody else know so that we can journey with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you this morning for your patience with us. We can be a foolish people. We can be a hard-hearted people. A stubborn people. But God, we thank you for your patience, that your kindness leads us to repentance. So Lord, this morning we pray that you'd help us to see you. See you for who you truly are. That through your word, through the singing of these songs, we'd see you and behold your glory. And in those moments that you'd help us to turn away from our sin, whatever it happens to be, from running away from you, wherever we're doing that from right now, wherever we're hiding from you right now, and we'd run to you. And Lord, would you just give us spiritual rest, just a deep sense of your presence and your grace that's sufficient for us. We give you thanks for Christ, your Son, our Savior, who came for us to rescue us. We pray all this in his name. Amen.